Thank you, Nicole. And again, great to see all of you tonight. You know, before we get into our passage tonight, now I'll just tell you what it is. It's Colossians chapter 2, beginning at verse 16. It it shouldn't amaze me after all these years, but it just amazes me uh, how the songs that Nicole picks go so well with the message. I've shared this with you before. Like, I'll I'll share months ahead of time the passages that I'm going to be teaching on on a certain date, and then she will, you know, uh, read the passage and study it and pray over it and ask the Lord to lead her to those songs. And when you hear the message tonight, you're going to go, man, the songs that we just sang just go perfectly with that. Because even the the very last song that we sang, I, I Need You, Lord, is really a song about being humble before the Lord, recognizing our need. That, that's humility. When, when we know we need God and we need others, that's true humility. And that's one of the real big parts of this passage tonight, is reminding us of our humility before God, because that's really what true worship is all about. True worship always humbles a person. Let me repeat that. True worship always humbles a person. There's no room for pride when we are entering into true worship before the Lord, when we are worshiping him in spirit and in truth. So tonight, we're going to follow up with where we were last week. And let me just remind us all about where we are sort of even on a broader, bigger picture. The book of Colossians was written from a prison cell that Paul was in. He was writing to this group of Christians in Colossae about two primary things. One, the supremacy of Jesus Christ and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. And even as Paul is in prison, even that circumstance is reminding these Christians that Christ is supreme over that circumstance as he is every circumstance. No matter what circumstance or situation you and I find ourselves in, Christ is supreme. He's still ruling. He's still on the throne. And then secondly, he is sufficient in each and every circumstance. And Paul found that sufficiency even in prison. In fact, he wrote many of the most powerful letters in the New Testament from a prison cell. His ministry was still thriving and going on and touching lives and impacting from a prison cell because of the supremacy of Jesus Christ and because of the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Now, last week, we were reminded in the passage from 2.6 through 2.15 that Jesus Christ has literally defeated every enemy that you and I could ever face He has overcome every obstacle that you and I will ever have to try to get over. In fact, let me draw your attention to to a couple phrases or, or verses out of the previous chapter we looked at or previous passage. At the very end of chapter 2, verse 10, it says that Jesus is head over every ruler and authority, And then in verse 15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities, made a public disgrace of them, triumphing over them all by the cross. He demonstrated a complete conquest of everyone and everything that was against his kingdom and one day would be against us in some way. 
he's victorious. And he, in a sense, then allows us to enter in and be part of that victory. Therefore, there, there is nothing that you and I will ever deal with or come across in our life that Jesus Christ hasn't already conquered, you see. And notice, too, how he did it. The end of verse 15, by the cross. By the cross. What the world would think was a defeat, what even Satan and his minions may think was a defeat of Christ, was actually God's way to victory. And even in that, we see the humility of God, because that's exactly what Paul said, that in a sense, the way up is down. And Jesus Christ himself was the greatest example and demonstration of that principle. That's why Paul said to the Philippians, he humbled himself as God, became obedient even unto death, the death on a cross. Therefore, God did what? Highly exalted him, gave him a name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee would one day bow, every tongue would confess on earth, under the earth, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, he humbled himself, became obedient, but it was through that humility that victory was won. And what Paul is trying to tell the Colossians is, let's worship the Lord. Let's acknowledge his greatness, but let's also be drawn to the fact that we can humble ourselves even trusting him, if you will, for whatever his plan and purpose is for our life. In fact, let me say it this way. True worship not only always humbles a person, but it does so in sort of three ways. The mind is awed by the greatness of God when we worship him. Our heart is filled with love for him as we truly worship him. And our will surrenders to God's purpose for us. That's how true worship humbles us. It affects our mind, we're awed by his greatness. It affects our heart, we are filled with love for him. And it even affects our will in the fact that it moves us to be willing to surrender to whatever his plan and purpose is for our life. So let's get into this great passage tonight. At the end of verse 15 again, Paul says, God has given us the victory through Jesus Christ. Therefore, should we not live a life to bring him glory and honor and worship him? So he says, therefore, verse 16, do not let anyone judge you with respect to things like food or drink or in a matter of a feast or new moon or Sabbath day. Don't let them decide for you in these matters. Because Paul is saying these are all external things that really at the end of the day are of no spiritual or internal benefit. Paul here is really dealing with religion versus a relationship with God, which is what true worship is all about. And see, even back in Bible times thousands of years ago, religion was a problem. People liked the rules and regulations just as they do today. 
and they get caught up in all the do's and don'ts rather than focusing on the person and adoring the person of God and worshiping the person of God and drawing close to him. They get caught up in all the externals rather than all the eternals and internals, the things that really matter. And that was what was happening at Colossians, at, at Colossae. And that's why Paul wants to write this on the heels of saying, Jesus Christ has given you victory. Now live in that victory and live to worship him. And as we worship him, we'll be directed to do the things we should do and to avoid the things that we shouldn't do. But don't make it a list of do's and don'ts, you see. That takes away the worship of God. He says, these are only, verse 17, the shadow of the things to come. They're inferior to what was coming and, and what God had done through Jesus Christ. Notice he even says, the reality is Christ. The reality is always Christ. He is always superior to everything that religion or is man-made or some set of rules or regulations or rituals, Jesus Christ is always superior. He's always the reality. So I'll say it this way. Whatever makes Jesus more real to us, whatever draws us closer to Jesus, whatever allows us to engage and experience and enjoy Jesus Christ more and more, that's good. Whatever in any way takes away from Jesus or, or comes between us and Jesus or distances us from Jesus because, again, it's all about true worship and just being captivated and enamored by the person and presence and power of Jesus Christ and being in awe of him and truly worshiping him. You see, why do... Human beings, though, get so easily caught up in all these rules and regulations and do's and don'ts because it feeds our flesh. It makes our flesh sort of feel good about itself, which then, in turn, and we're going to you know, keep talking about this, then what does that do? That appeals to our human pride. And the more then that our pride becomes you know, satisfied, the more glory is taken away from God, you see. In a sense, pride is about our glory. Humility is always about God's glory. And that's why true worship always humbles a person because everything that we do then, we want to try to speak of God and, and reflect the glory and the credit due him and due only to him, to him, rather than taking any credit ourselves. But see, that's again, that's why religion has always been popular, if you will, amongst us as human beings. And something that even us as Christ followers, we have to be careful of because we can begin to think that as we sort of do our little checklist and we check the boxes and we do all these things, that that makes us feel pretty good about, listen, our self-worth and self-esteem and all of that should be tied to Jesus Christ. Not to what we do on our own, but what we do in partnership with him. And it's out of our love for him and out of worshiping him that we do those things. 
but it's not out of duty or obligation and all of that. It's because we want to, not because we have to. And we're going to talk more about that on Sunday. Notice he goes on to say, verse 18, let no one who delights in humility, you would think, well, wait a minute, isn't humility good? But we're going to see it's sort of a false humility. And the worship of angels pass judgment on you, literally call a foul on you or disqualify you, as if, ah, you're doing it wrong, because you're not doing it the way I do it. You see, at this time in history, the reason why Paul's talking about humility and the worship of angels is because these guys and gals were coming into churches like Colossae and say, we're so humble, we're so humble that we will not dare approach God, you know, immediately. We'll, we're going to go through angels to approach God because we're so humble. And Paul's like, come on. God has made the way for you and I to be priests and to enter into his presence. And we don't have to go through any other mediator other than Jesus Christ. That's God's way. And that's the way God has told us he is to be worshipped. And Jesus said, if you're going to worship me, then worship me truly. Worship me in spirit and in truth. Worship me the way I laid out for you to worship me. God won't be upset when we worship him in the way he has prescribed. But don't come along and sort of feign this false humility. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm too humble to approach God, just, just me. I'm going to go through these angels. Paul says, that's a bunch of bunk. Well, that's not really what Paul said, but I'm, you know, paraphrasing. But he does go on to say, the person who does this goes on at great lengths, verse 18, about what he has supposedly seen. Because again, they were coming into the church and they were saying, hey, We've got to have these experiences and we've done these things and, and you need us to give you the secrets and, and the formulas and, and all these things in order to experience the things with God that we've experienced. And again, what they're really doing then is feeding their own pride and making people dependent upon them rather than dependent upon God. And Paul says, be careful, be careful, now, Paul's going to, in just a minute, say, look, God made us to be a part of his body and to be interdependent on each other, but not in the way that we need each other in order to enter God's presence or, or to, to worship the Lord or anything like that, and that one Christian doesn't have some secret way into God that any other Christian can't, can't experience that either. It, it's not that built that way. But that's what was happening in Colossae. Notice it says he is puffed up, the end of verse 18, with empty notions by his fleshly mind. He's not being controlled by the Spirit, or she's not being controlled by the Spirit, but by their fallen human nature. It's all about feeding the flesh. It's all about external things. It's all about religiosity, if you will, but there's no reality to it because Christ is not at the center of it, and Paul's already said the reality is Christ. Just keep him there. Keep him there. Because true worship always humbles us. Then Paul says, here's the real reason why all this is happening. Verse 19. He or she has not held fast to the head. And the head is Jesus Christ, okay? In a sense, they have disconnected from the head of the church 
Jesus Christ, and they're going their own way. Now, again, this ties back into humility and why we need the Lord because the phrase held fast literally means let Jesus lead. That's what it means to hold fast to the head. Not I do, but Jesus, you lead. You you lead me. Because again, a humble person is going to say, I need you to show me. I need you to guide me. I need you to direct me. Lord, I will follow you because you know best. You see, the immature Christian is like the child who says, no, no, mommy and daddy, I do. I do. And, and we are independent because we're not holding fast to the head. And Paul is saying, if we recognize that Jesus Christ has already conquered every foe, defeated every enemy that we will ever face, that to him is all the glory, then do I not then understand in humility that He knows way more than I do. He sees the beginning and the end. Therefore, why would I ever try to lead my own way through this life? Why would I not humble myself every day and just follow him? That's holding fast, letting Jesus lead. And then he goes on to say, and here's God's plan in all this. Not only to let Jesus lead and be the leader of our life, but also to allow him then to fit us in to the body, to be part of something bigger than ourselves. And notice he then says, this body is supported by Christ. That means to be supplied or provided with everything we will need, both individually and as a community of believers. You see, again, if I truly believe that Jesus Christ is sufficient, that I am complete in him and therefore I don't lack anything. There's nothing deficient in whatever God is going to ask me to do. I can find it in Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be supported. This word or this language was used a couple different ways. It was used, uh, say, a a ship that was going on a journey. It, It was filled to the brim with all of its cargo and everything that it needed and all the sailors and everybody was on board, it was said to be supported. It was a go. It could leave on its journey because it had everything on board that it would need to get to its destination. God is saying to us, because of the sufficiency of Jesus Christ and us being filled in him, we don't ever have to look outside of Jesus for anything that we will ever need. We are fully supported individually and corporately by our head, Jesus Christ. He gives us everything we need at all times. And if we come to a place where we don't have what we need, then one question would be then, am I doing something that I, God hasn't asked me to do? Because if God is leading me to do something and I'm letting him lead, then the next thing that should build confidence in my life is the fact that, well, if if I'm letting God lead, then that means he's going to support me in everything he leads me into, you see. Another way this was used is in music. Uh, Say like a big big, uh, orchestra, if you will, and that every instrument was there, Every, everything was supplied, everyone had their instruments, everyone was ready to perform whatever the music was, 
there was nothing lacking in the, in the orchestra or the band or the, the group of instruments. Everything was there. That's what the word was used for, supported. But then it goes on to say, here's what else God does. As he leads us and supports us, he also, in his plan, knits us together with other believers in this body. And he does so very purposefully and strategically. He fits us together next to certain believers. Okay? So now, let, let this play out a minute. What that means is that just like in a body, I'm not equally close to every member in the body. My hand and the fingers on my hand are far away, if you will, from my feet and toes, okay? So just like in the body of Christ, I'm not going to be placed by Christ next to every member, but God is very purposefully and strategically going to maybe place me as this finger next to this finger. And why does he do that? Because God understands that if this part of the body fits with this part of the body, I can get a maximum benefit for them, from them, and through them to the body, you see. Because I know that what they will bring by being fit together and beside each other with each other is going to bless the body and be a blessing to them more than if I fit them with someone else. That's why it's very important that you and I are part of a body and that we allow God to literally place us like puzzle pieces and fit us together with certain people that we are closer to as Christians so that we can do life and ministry beside other people because God has a plan for why he puts certain of us together with others. It is so we can blend our gifts and talents and abilities together, not only to be blessed, but to be even a greater blessing to this body. And then notice, if you and I let God lead and know that God's supporting us, and we allow God to knit us together with other believers, then notice what happens. We grow with a growth that is from God. We experience nonstop progress in our spiritual life and becoming greater together than we ever could apart. Let me repeat that. We become greater together than we ever could by staying apart, which is why, again, it pained me so much even for this amount of time that we were apart to be apart because it's not the way God designed it. God did not design our own body to be distanced from each other. The arm doesn't go in one room and the leg go in another room. It all fits together. That's the only way we can do this, folks, and, and get the benefit and the blessing from being in the same body, you see. Now again, that if we don't recognize the supremacy and sufficiency of God, then we don't let him lead. And we don't trust him to support us. And we don't allow him to knit us together with other believers. And then if we do that, though, we're never going to experience the growth that only comes from God. This is a great illustration, Colossians 2.19, of something I've shared with you many times before, 
that spiritual growth doesn't take place in a vacuum. It only takes place as we come together and use our gifts, our talents, our abilities, and where we're rubbing up against each other and we're mutually benefiting, supporting, and encouraging each other on our journey through this life as Christ's followers, you see. But that's, that's part of worship, right? Because that's being humble. That's saying, God, you know better than we do. And instead of us doing church the way we want to do church, instead of us doing life the way we want to do life, we are going to surrender our will to you, and we're going to love you, God, and we're going to be awed by your greatness, knowing that you'll supply everything we need, and we're going to follow your plan rather than our plan. And it's not going to be about all these rules and regulations. It's going to be about relationships. It's going to be about our relationship growing with you, God, and our relationship growing with one another. And God, we're going to let you, not us, choose those that come next to us and all of that. We're going to pray and we're going to let you, God, choose who is it that you want us to do life and ministry with? Because again, God, you are very purposeful and strategic about who you place us next to because you understand just like with puzzle pieces in a puzzle that this piece only goes there and only fits with that piece. If, if you try to fit that piece somewhere else in the puzzle, it doesn't fit. You can try to make it fit, but it doesn't fit. But when that puzzle piece that's made for that space is fit next to that piece that's made for that space, it fits perfectly. And they complement each other so well, just as worship and the Word does. You see, the more we knew about Jesus Christ in the passage of 2.6 through 2.15, the more we want to worship Him and exalt him and lift him up. So Paul goes on in verse 20 to say then, if you've died with Christ to these elemental spirits that we talked about, these, these spirits that were a unique class of spiritual beings that, that were influencing rulers of the world, and that's a key, they are of the world, then why do you as Christians Submit to them. Allow them to rule over you and lead you as though you lived in the world. Our quality of life as a Christian is not determined by the world or the philosophy of the world or the ways of the world. Our success, if you will, and quality of life as a Christian is determined by Jesus Christ alone. What did we sing tonight? You define me. You define me. I'm not defined by anything or anyone else and what other people think is spiritual and all that. Don't let them call a foul on you or disqualify you because, you know, you didn't do it this way or that way. You let Jesus lead and then draw you into fellowship with other believers and do life and ministry together as those who are supported by Jesus, this all-sufficient Christ, and who are knit together by him. He says, they'll go on in verse 21 with these man-made prohibitions that are of no real eternal value. Don't handle that. Don't taste that. Don't touch that. Don't, don't, don't. He says, verse, verse 22, these are all destined to perish with use. 
founded as they are on human commands and teachings. Paul's basically saying to the Colossians and to us, we don't gain victory or achieve progress in our Christian life by focusing on the flesh, but by focusing on building up the spirit. And can I say that's where so many Christians, they're missing it because they get so frustrated and so demoralized because they keep trying to sort of tamp down or stamp out the flesh. Listen, folks, as long as you and I, even as Christians, are in this body, we're going to have the flesh. You and I can't eradicate the flesh. But here's what we can do. Jesus Christ has already given us victory over this flesh. So instead of focusing on saying no to the flesh, focus on building up the spiritual part and building up the spirit and saying yes to the spirit. All of a sudden, you'll find that instead of focusing on the flesh rather than the spirit, that when we focus on the spirit, we don't even have time for the flesh. And if the flesh does sort of rear its ugly head, if you will, that, that we have the strength in the spirit to say, no, back off. Because we're never going to be at a place, no matter how you know, strong of a Christian or mature of a Christian we are, that, that temptation is not going to come. Temptation is part of living in these bodies and living on earth. We're going to be tempted. That's never the sin. The sin is not being tempted. The sin comes when we give in to it. And Paul's already told the Colossians, Jesus Christ gave us victory over the flesh. He defeated the flesh. So don't focus on the flesh, focus on the spirit. Those who are into religion and the do's and don'ts and the rules and regulations, they're too focused on the externals. They're focused on the flesh. And why? Because it appeals to their pride. It's something that they can take glory in. And God says, nope, nope, nope. True worship gives God the glory. Humility is about God's glory. In fact, I'm reminded of that verse in Isaiah 42.8. I am the Lord, that is my name, and I will share my glory with no other. God said, I'm not just going to stand back and allow people to take credit for that which I should get the credit for. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not share my glory with another. And then Paul in 1 Corinthians 10.31 even tells us whether we even eat or drink or whatever we do in this life, do all to the what? Glory of God. That everything should go back to glory. Well, in order to live for the glory of God, that means I've got to remain humble. How do I remain humble? By worshiping the Lord, by recognizing who he is, how supreme he is, how sufficient he is, giving him first place in my life and not leaving any room for religion, but all about my relationship with him. Notice Paul goes on to say in verse 23, even though religious people have the appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, notice that, it wasn't God-led, it was things that they added or took away to say, this is, this is something I'm doing because I choose to do it. God didn't lead me to do it. And it may even build up a reputation before others of they're really spiritual people because 
Look at what they're doing to themselves or allowing themselves to go through. In fact, he goes on to say this self-imposed worship is actually a false humility because, again, religion stokes the pride within us achieved by an unsparing treatment of the physical body. They put their physical body through all these, in a sense, torturous things. They deny themselves. It goes back, in a sense, to Paul's day of what was called asceticism. It was the denial of the flesh. You know, I, I've got to just deny, 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 and, and, and not allow, you know, and, and it was almost like they, they beat themselves up physically. And that somehow that was supposed to elicit some kind of positive spiritual benefit. Paul says, wait a minute. The physical cannot benefit the spiritual. You, you can't draw a, a straight line from somehow benefiting yourself physically to somehow that automatically helping yourself spiritually. But now, here is what you can do. The opposite, though, is true. When you and I feed ourselves spiritually and build up ourselves spiritually, guess what it does? It benefits us physically. See, it does work the other way. That's why God says, you want, you want to take care of yourself physically and be in a good place physically? Then be where you need to be spiritually. A good, what is it, a merry heart is like good medicine. Well, how do I get a merry, cheerful heart from the Lord? From acknowledging his supremacy and sufficiency in my life, from truly worshiping him? That's how I get a merry heart. Only God can give me a merry heart, a cheerful heart every day. And that actually then affects my countenance and, and affects the way I feel and the, my outlook and my mindset. It does go that way. They want to, in a sense, just treat their body terribly and think somehow there's going to be a spiritual benefit out of it. He says, notice, this wisdom has no true value, meaning no spiritual benefit. They, in reality, result in fleshly indulgence. Think about that. The very thing, in a sense, that they're trying not to achieve, they achieve. Why? Because they're focusing on the flesh. They're, in a sense, satisfying or pleasing the flesh by focusing on the flesh. You see? Deny, deny, deny. And then what happens? The flesh goes crazy and is fed. Everything that Paul's talked about here in this passage really goes back to acknowledging Jesus in our life, to living a life of true worship. And true worship always humbles us as human beings. It keeps us humble. The mind is awed by the greatness of God. The heart is filled with love for God. And the will is surrendered to the purpose of God. Again, pride is about our glory. Humility is about God's glory. I will say this as we wrap things up tonight. Speaking about humility, this is something to keep in mind, and I have to keep this in mind. Humility for us, even as Christians, is a direction, not a destination. What do I mean by that? As long as we're in this body, we will never 
totally conquer pride. It is something that we will have to sort of deal with all of our life. But God keeps telling us, humble yourselves. Humble yourselves before the mighty hand of God, and he will lift you up in due time. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And how do we remain humble? By true worship. You think about all the instances in the Bible where people encountered God, I mean, literally encountered God in his presence. And what happened? They were like, oh my goodness, you know. Think of Moses at the burning bush, and think of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, who saw the Lord high and lifted up and said, woe is me. And when you and I truly spend time with the Lord, we see the Lord for who he is, and we see us for who we are. And we remain humble. The further away we get from true worship, the more we are lifted up in pride, and the less we are in awe of God. Humility bends toward God and towards others, not inward. That's pride. Pride always bends inward direction. Humility always bends outward towards God and towards so I take us back to what I think is the key verse in this passage from 2.16 through the end of the chapter, and that is verse 19. Paul is saying to the Colossians, and he's saying to us, hold fast to the head. If Christ is who he has been portrayed to be throughout this letter that we've looked at, if he's the one who's conquered every enemy, if he's the one who's sustaining the universe and created the universe all the way back in chapter 1, if he's the one who humbled himself and became obedient even to death on a cross, but God has highly exalted him and given him a name above every name, if this is who Jesus is, then we need to let him lead. And Paul even said last week in the previous passage in 2.6, if you've received Christ Jesus as Lord, then be rooted in him. Well, to be Lord means he decides. I don't decide. He's my authority. I let him decide. So Paul says, let's hold fast to the head and let him lead, knowing that as he leads us, he will always support us. He will give us everything that you and I need to accomplish his will. He will also lead us to be knit together with other believers, because that's how God designed us to grow, a growth that comes from God. You and I always benefit more from being together than we ever could apart. Because when we come together, we mutually share, again, the gifts, talents, and abilities and things that God has blessed us with so that we can be a blessing to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And over time, your spiritual walk with God positively influences my walk with God, and hopefully my spiritual walk with God influences your personal walk with God. That's the way God designed it. So then, 
individually and corporately, we grow with a growth that is from God. Which means, Paul's implying here, that we can grow or seemingly grow physically and all these other ways, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's from God. Paul says, I want us to grow with a growth that is from God. That God is doing it, and we're looking to God to do it. And God's the one that's moving and acting and, and, and putting us together and, and working on hearts and drawing us to himself and drawing us to his. We're letting God be God because we're a people who worship him. Let's pray. God, we thank you for reminding us, God, about what true worship really is all about. That, God, true worship humbles a person. God, I pray tonight through our worship and through our time in the Word that, God, our minds have been awed by your greatness once again. That, God, our hearts have been filled with a love for you anew. And that our wills are willing to be surrendered to your purpose and to your plan. God, if you're truly our head, if you're our Lord, then we let you lead. We trust you, God, because we worship you, God. We understand there is no one or nothing greater in this universe. We stand in awe of you in our lives. And God, we want to live for you. And we want to live in a way that reflects all the glory, all the credit, back to you. Lord, may we never take credit for anything that you deserve the credit for, God. And Lord, you deserve it all. Because without you, God, we are nothing. God, I pray that we would be a people and a church that just wants to give you glory, give you praise, celebrate you, exalt you every day. God, thank you again for being able to see these faces tonight. And I pray, God, that you'll just bring us all back again on Sunday, that we might be together again, knit together, so that we can continue to grow with a growth that only comes from you. These things we pray in Jesus' name, amen.